0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, January 15th. Welcome to this kind of weird confluence of Martin Luther King Day and the Iowa caucuses right? The first voting day in this presidential election year is today. It's a Republican voting day specifically, as you know, Trump and his various challengers. So I was reading up this weekend because I was curious on how this confluence came to be, because my first impulse would be to think, well, wouldn't they avoid King Day out of respect for the national holiday and Dr. King's legacy? The Iowa caucuses are usually on Mondays, not Tuesday like most other elections, but usually a few Mondays later in January or early February. In 2016, they were Monday, February 1st. In 2020, they were Monday, February 3rd. So why not keep putting the caucuses around there and let people do MLK events today? And yes, there are King Day events scheduled in many places in Iowa. I looked it up. Don't just write it off as flyover country. And here's what I found. As to why, in an Associated Press article from last July, which is when they set today's date, the AP quoted State Party Chairman Jeff Kaufman saying committee members hadn't considered the possibility of the contest falling on the federal holiday. So that's a little vague. That's the language from the AP story. Uh, The party chairman of the GOP in Iowa, said committee members hadn't considered the possibility of the contest falling on the federal holiday. A little vague, but it makes it sound like the Iowa Republican Committee sort of forgot that there even is a national holiday on a Monday in January, right? If they were scheduling for February, would President's Day not have occurred to them as a Monday in the month that they might want to work around? If it was Columbus Day I don't know if they also call it Indigenous People's Day in Iowa yet. Probably do. Second Monday in October, right? Would they have forgotten that that exists? Are there no black people on the Iowa Republican Committee who would more likely have been remembering that January has a Monday national holiday, this particular one? I don't know. But then the Iowa Republican chairman tried to make it sound, once he sort of got caught by the AP in this interview, it seems like, make it sound like a good thing when the AP asked him about it, he said, quote, as Republicans, we can I we see this as honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King in terms of having a caucus here, unquote. So so maybe he was just squirming to find something acceptable to say, or who knows, since King was so much about voting rights, maybe they even did this on purpose. But the reporting by the AP last July and that quote, that squirming quote, we can, I, we see this, make it sound like not that. But here we are. So we will talk about the sub-zero weather caucuses in Iowa today, with us to talk about the Iowa caucuses and New York's new Reparation Study Commission Act, is Christina Greer, expert in both national and New York politics. Um, she is Fordham University political science professor. She's a Moynihan Public Scholars fellow at City College. She's host of the podcast FAQ NYC, host of the podcast The Blackest Questions on the GRIO, and author of the book. Black Ethnics, Race, Immigration, and the Pursuit of the American Dream. Christina, always great to have you on. Happy Martin Luther King Day and opening day of the presidential election season. Welcome back to WNYC.
2: Thank you, Brian. I love spending Martin Luther King Day with you. This is like several years uh, in a row now.
1: Ha! Do you know anything more than I just quoted from the AP about why the caucuses are on the same day as the Martin Luther King national holiday?
2: No, I don't know more about that, but I think it says a lot about The Republican Party and how they view uh, not just voters of color, but black voters in particular. And while you were putting together that intro, I was thinking about the Iowa Brown and Black Forum that's been going on since 1984. And they actually had to cancel it this year because none of the leading candidates bothered to even go to talk about their issues and policy proposals and their vision for the party in the country with the members of the Iowa Brown and Black Forum. So the fact that they forgot that it was Martin Luther King's birthday when they scheduled this uh, isn't surprising.
1: I read that some Iowans are now having to choose between caucus events, which of course are in person at night, and King events in their towns also scheduled for this evening. Any sense that some people there are feeling angry or erased by this caucus schedule?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, different colleagues of mine who are in Iowa and who, have, you know, traveled to Iowa over the past several election years. I think the the larger story is the weather. To be quite honest, um, you know, just a reminder for our listeners: this is a caucus and not a primary, so that means they don't just go uh, cast their ballot and leave, and and possibly make both events. This is you stay until your candidate presumably wins, um, and so that definitely sets up a different dynamic uh, this evening where. If you are, let's just say, uh, a Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis uh, caucus goer uh, with such a lead that, you know, that Donald Trump has roughly, you know, 50 percent going in, uh, those people might have an incentive to stay uh, and skip all other events. Um, I don't know how many events are going to be canceled, largely because of the weather that has been coming into Iowa for the past few days and, and sort of creating very dangerous conditions.
1: Yeah, certainly the big story out of Iowa, besides the voting itself, is the weather I looked it up just before we went on. It's currently minus nine in Des Moines, according to my weather app, minus 24 with the wind chill. It'll be about like this during the caucus hours. Officially, um, the state there, I think, is advising people not to go out if they don't have to. But then we have the caucuses where you have to go out and stay for a while in the way you were just describing. Think that favors anyone?
2: Well, you know, we have to remember caucus voters tend to be a little bit older. Um, uh, You know, you don't really hear a lot about like, you know, 18 and 20 year olds really staying. Um, So we we have to have concerns about, you know, will older people want to be on those types of treacherous roads? I think Donald Trump has made it very clear. You know, he said in his speech, like, it doesn't matter if you essentially die going to caucus, like, it'll be worth it uh, for the larger mission. Uh, I, I think this is... Where you know, we get to Tip O'Neill, where all politics is local, I think county by county we'll see sort of advantages and disadvantages. We do know that Trump supporters tend to be uh, voracious and die hard, literally and figuratively. Um, but for people who really love Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, um, if they've inspired some folks in Iowa like that, uh, that gives them an incentive to stay until the very end, despite the weather. Um, now we know that Nikki Haley tends to lean a little bit more upper middle class with her supporters, so I don't know if they'll feel uh, that it's imperative for them to stay and and really, you know, get their message across until the very end. Uh, but I do think that you know if all projections go well, weather aside, um, Donald Trump you know will have a pretty significant victory. Keep in mind this is not his his first time in Iowa. Um, And, you know, his caucus goes presumably know their districts very well and and kind of know how to persuade
1: others in doing so. Uh, And can you put on your professor hat and give us a little bit more even than you did before on what a caucus is compared to a primary and what the pros and cons are considered to be or why some states or state parties prefer to do it this way?
2: All right so let's start with the easy one which many of New Yorkers listening have participated in hopefully uh, and a primary is you go you cast your ballot and you leave you know and depending on your district you might get a little sticker that says I voted uh and that's that's the process the difference between a primary and a caucus is the caucuses are run by political parties uh primaries are usually run by the state not always but on the Monsan. Um and they're held usually in the evening and voters must attend in person. So we know that there's certain states where in a primary you can um vote uh, absentee. This uh for for a caucus you must attend in person in order to participate. Uh there ever of course every rule has like tiny little asterisks, but for the most part you have to attend in person. And you essentially uh Brian sit in the room with other supporters for your candidate, but also supporters for your candidate's opposition. And you all go round by round uh, to see who will uh, emerge victorious. And so it's really important for you to have a strong ground game uh, in Iowa so that you know you get that political headwind going into New Hampshire. So if our listeners remember in two thousand eight uh, with Barack Obama versus Hillary Clinton, you know obviously Hillary Clinton was going into the presidential race with a, an incredible advantage for a host of reasons. Last name, you know, had some um, I would say uh, a much longer political history as senator of, of the state of New York. Um, then Barack Obama, who you know just recently became a senator, but he had such a strong caucus game at Iowa, he went into New Hampshire with a very sort of uh robust energy. Now, Hillary Clinton ended up winning New Hampshire, uh, for a host of reasons we can get into for another time, but it didn't essentially. Uh, cancel out Barack Obama now had he lost Iowa, Hillary Clinton would have gone into New Hampshire, and the rest would be history um, But since he won, um, it really showed that he had the mobilization yeah. of individuals who were willing to go toe to toe round for round with so with so players.
1: among other things, a caucus is more of a measure of enthusiasm because you kind of have to go and stay the evening and have that commitment before you set out uh, compared to a primary where you know even if you 're voting in person, you go to the polls. You cast your ballot, you go home.
2: Right. And now, this is where it gets tricky, where a lot of people don't uh, like caucuses realistically. Because they're run by political parties, it sets up uh, sort of relationships that many people feel are a little more elite level. So, you know, if I can, if I'm a candidate and I establish strong relationships with uh, members of political uh, party structures, they will help, you know, put together my caucus voters and, and build that enthusiasm which is great, but it, it, it does differ from one person, one vote uh, in a lot of
1: ways. Here is Carolina in Astoria, who says she has a sister in Iowa. Carolina, you're on WNYC. Hi there.
3: Hey. So, yeah, I have a sister who lives in Red Oak, well, outside of Red Oak, Iowa, which is where Joni Ernst is, you know, theoretically uh, still lives, but where she's from. Uh-huh. And um, she, from my sister lives, yes. Um, she lives probably four or five miles outside of that town. It's like 10,000 people. And for the last five days, she had been saying, I don't know if I'm going to even be able to get to work on Monday because of how terrible the snowdrifts were. You know, like it's the middle of nowhere. There's not, well, at least in parts of Iowa there's not that many trees so you know even with a little bit of snow depending on the wind patterns you get these massive massive drifts that you just can't drive past so you know I'm sitting here wondering gosh I wonder how many very very rural voters physically cannot get to a caucus now typically okay they would get on a snowmobile but it's too cold out it's literally too cold out to do that So there might be people going there in like tractors. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that has an effect. And then if the wind picks up again later today, because sometimes I didn't I I didn't grow up in Iowa, but I grew up in in rural Nebraska. Uh And uh, very much the same where, you know, you could clear the drift. But if the wind picks up again, it's closing again. So if the wind were to pick up later, it could be very interesting. Some people might have to leave the caucus early that weren't planning to, or they're going to be sleeping in the gym where they're caucusing.
1: Very interesting, Carolina, very interesting. And thank you for your call. And it kind of addresses one of the texts we just got from a listener that maybe other people were thinking, too, do the the caucuses happen outside if they're indoors, which they are? Wouldn't it not matter how cold it is? Uh, but there's Carolina's explanation of how, particularly in rural areas, um, the cold and the wind, et cetera, might be an obstacle even to getting there. So thank you for that. Here's Craig in Manhattan, who's originally from Iowa. Craig, you're on WNYC. Thank you for calling in.
0: Yes, good morning, Brian. Thank you uh, for taking my call. I am originally from a very small town in northeast Iowa. I was back in to Iowa in... Um, September, and I had two reunions, one with high school friends and another with family and large, uh, pretty much role-oriented family in uh, El Iowa, and um, I did not find any avid Trump support. I, I was not obviously poking for political discussions. I knew it could be fraught, but it turned out that it, that we had some... Political discussions at my class reunion at the end of the end of the day after everyone was sort of trusting each other, and there was one guy who was a very strict, you know, Republican conservative, um, chamber of commerce type, small budget and that sort of thing, and he was uh, not talking about Trump or anything like that. He's, he was a very reasonable guy, and I was a little bit heartened. I don't. Obviously, it yeah. looks like everybody in Iowa is an extremist, but I don't think that's true.
1: Yeah. Craig, thank you very much. Yep, it's uh, what we call a, um informal, unofficial, thoroughly unscientific sample <laughs> of Craig's friends. Certainly the um, big Iowa poll that came out over the weekend, like a lot of other polls recently, seemed to show Trump with a, a very commanding lead for the caucuses in the state, But Mark in Queens, who says he grew up in the Midwest, is going to have a different take on those polls. Mark, you're on WNYC. Thank you for calling in today.
0: Yeah, hi. I I did grow up in the Midwest. I've never been to Iowa, though. I just wanted to, you know, I'm somebody that's, you know, petrified of the chances of Donald Trump being reelected. So I'm hearing, I think that, you know, in terms of people of color increasing support for Trump, for example, I think I heard that somewhere around 20% of black men are planning to vote for Donald Trump, which, uh, you know, could be very significant in states like, uh, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin. And, you know, if Donald Trump's reelected, I'm not going to blame black men because, you know, I'm a white male. There's a lot more white males in the country, and I'm sure well above 50 percent of white males are planning to vote for Trump. So, so I guess with your guess, is that, are you hearing that particularly like, you know, uh, black men are, are drawn to Trump? And I guess the question is, uh why,
1: <laughs> Mark? Thank, thank you, thank you for the question. Yeah, and I think that was one poll, um, and others have not had anything like that twenty percent figure. But Christina, have you looked at those?
2: Yeah, I'm actually writing a paper with some colleagues about that, um, looking at sort of conservative podcast by other Black men. Um, much of the, the conversation isn't necessarily supported with data. Um, and yes, Mark is correct. There are way more white men and white women who will vote for Donald Trump than the small percentages of, of Black men. And obviously, the vast majority of Black women are completely immune to the Republican Party and Donald Trump. What I do think is interesting is this conversation uh, about this shift to the right uh, for Black men. And it largely comes with, you know, economic concerns, uh, a purity test that Joe Biden is failing. But we also have to remember that, you know, when you dig through the data a little more closely, oftentimes when they've asked Black men these questions, a follow-up question is, did you vote and are you planning on voting? Uh, and as someone who's run focus groups, uh, oftentimes people with very strong opinions about, uh you know, the Democratic Party and possibly, you know, the disappointment and wanting to move rightward, those people have not voted and do not have a voting plan. So I'm not saying that we ignore people who don't vote. But when we're having an analysis of what the future of the Democratic Party looks like, especially in a presidential election year, I want us to also focus on people who are actually planning to vote.
1: Well, I feel like there's also this cognitive dissonance today. You know, we'll hear a lot on the holiday about the persistence of racial inequality as a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow and other northern state forms of discrimination that deprived and do deprive black people of economic and other kinds of equality. And Then on this Martin Luther King Day, we have candidates like Ron DeSantis banning AP black history in Florida high schools, and Nikki Haley dancing around the cause of the Civil War to not offend some Republicans, and the vote comes on King Day. And yet the polls show um, at least some of this leaning with a few more percentage of Black men and maybe a tiny more percentage of black women leaning Trump that they did in the than they did in the pre- past elections. I guess my question is, do you know if the Republicans are campaigning at all explicitly on how they would promote more racial equality?
2: No, I mean I think the Republican Party also has been pretty clear about some of their anti-blackness, as mentioned with Ron DeSantis, and we've seen he's not the only governor who's cherry picking ways to 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 uplift anti-blackness in his particular state. I think some of this trending to the right, if it is in fact the case, has less to do with support for the Republican Party and Donald Trump and more to do with a disappointment in what the Democrats have not delivered, uh, Joe Biden in particular. And so this this enthusiasm gap that um, many political scientists talk about. I think when we're dissecting the policies of the Republican Party. We know that every year on Martin Luther King Day, like clockwork, they cherry-pick a few quotes that they like uh, with no context. And we know that Martin Luther King wrote several books, uh, many of which are on my shelves, uh, and they are the antithesis of many of the policies and proposals put forth by the Republican Party. But... On Martin Luther King Day, they sort of choose a quote or two and say, listen, this is, you know, this is our ideal vision, which is not uh the vision of Dr. King at all. Um and so when we are thinking about black voters and the Republican Party and the ways that in many uh Republican uh, electeds uh not just ignore black voters, but actively work against the interests of black voters on local, state, and national levels, um this this slight trend, if true, uh to the right has less to do with what they're promising, and more to do with um, trying to show Democrats a level of disappointment. I, I don't think that that strategy will bear fruit, but um, people are entitled to obviously have feelings of disappointment or excitement in whatever direction they feel.
1: And, and I've heard one other point of analysis come up on this, which is just a feeling that Trump or the Republicans might be better for their personal finances, And so they'll, you know, look past the anti-blackness and other things uh, if they think, well, we actually did better during the Trump years before the pandemic. And, you know, we want to go back to that because we're hurting financially. I don't know if you've looked into that, but that's a common analysis that I've heard for these few points of potential swing.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's always the economic argument. I mean, this is why Donald Trump does so well with white white voters, uh, because they feel as, the, you know, all voters go to the to the polls for pocketbook issues. But, you know, if we look closely at the data uh, for, for college-educated blacks, it's loan forgiveness under the Biden administration is real, right? Uh, the price of gas is lower. I mean, you know, there are so many economic barometers that the Biden administration has succeeded in. One, they don't advertise it to to their own peril but two there's a perception gap between the biden administration and the trump administration many people are doing better economically under the biden administration they just the perception isn't there so if you don't feel like you have more money in your pocket whether or not the facts are true Mm -hmm. Uh, that that does affect how you want to go to the polls. So and there's also a difference between the economy and people's personal pocketbooks. So, yes, the economy is much stronger under the Biden administration, by and large, and sort of projections in the future. But if that doesn't make people feel better personally, then that obviously is affecting how we've seen many African-Americans look at the Biden
1: administration. Christina Greer, I want to thank you very much for spending so much time with us today on this Martin Luther King Day and talking with your national politics hat on about the Iowa caucuses. Christina Greer from Fordham and Puny and the podcasts, The Blackest Questions and FAQ NYC and her book, Black Ethnics. Christina, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Brian. Happy Martin Luther King Day.